0: Hello everyone, welcome to Old Soul Podcast, my name is Bree, that's spelled B-R-E-I, thank you so much. Today I'm going to be talking about my bittersweet taste for 80s movies, yay! So I'm going to list a few of the movies that I'm going to talk about um, in pretty decent detail, not so much about summary but more commentary on the reasons why I find these movies to be bittersweet. I'm gonna talk about Sixteen Candles. I'm going to also talk about Some Kind of Wonderful, The Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, and Dirty Dancing. The reason why I came across this list for 80s movies that I wanted to talk about today was partially because these are movies that I really love or loved a lot growing up. I started watching 80s movies at like 15 years old no particular reason why I started watching these movies I think that at the time there was a station called ABC Family and they played like rerun versions of movies oftentimes it would be 80s movies and like Harry Potter marathons and I think that's how I started watching 80s movies and then like as I would watch these films of course my parents would be like oh yeah this used to you know this came out when I was growing up or whatever no one formally like gave me like a vcr and was like hey watch this movie it's pretty good it was just something that came up and i happen to really like because i do have a strong love for coming of age films and john hughes who either wrote or directed um most of these films or was a part of most of these films um not dirty dancing specifically but pretty much he was a part of all the other films that I listed, whether he directed, or wrote, or produced, or, you know, the list goes on. Um, Yeah, so he did a lot of of coming-of-age films. Um, Dirty Dancing, specifically, is a coming-of-age film that's a lot more heartfelt than maybe some people think about. Um, So, yeah. My main reason for liking 80s films... Is that I like the cheesiness, I like the cut off gloves, I like the combat boots, the lace. Give me it all. The retroness, the hairspray, the overly hairsprayed hair, the explosive claps that start off like those slow claps, and they just explode into like rhythmic patterns of claps. Love that. So I like all aspects of 80s movies from the I guess general or stereotype versions of what people assume 80s movies are or I guess aspects that are in 80s movies but what I really like about them is that they just speak to me and that they are entertaining for me they keep my focus they motivate me they say something to me and that I feel like coming-of-age films don't get a lot of the credit that they deserve because they either are stories about teenage kids or they're about teenage kids for teenage kids and I don't really understand why YA and coming of age doesn't get the love that it should. I know that's not coming from everyone but I do feel like when you talk about things like this people don't always talk about these types of films in a good light or these types of stories in general in a good light without making it seem like they're not as good or as worthy because they're for teenagers, and a lot of the time you find teenagers defending films like this coming of age because adults feel like, oh that's for kids, when I don't really agree with that. And I'm not saying that specifically for each of these films people feel that way. These films are classics they are timeless people love them even now from when they were kids. I wasn't even brought up on these movies and I was born in 1997 so that's obviously saying a lot for these films and that they're pretty timeless but I'm also again a very old soul I feel <laughs> personally. I don't know a lot of kids that um, were watching these movies when I was younger and I don't know a lot of them my age or size, maybe Dirty Dancing that are go- gonna going to be watching these anytime soon but I do think it says a lot that these are still well known to some extent, but I do think that Coming of Age doesn't always get the love that it deserves because it's for a younger audience or has younger characters, Um, which I'll never understand because Coming of Age is sort of something we all go through in real life in general, so I feel like just because you've gone through something and you're not going through that anymore, it doesn't negate the fact that teenagers matter and their opinions matter and their films matter and that's something that John Hughes was able to really hone in on the teenage experience and showing it through a different lens that wasn't judgmental that wasn't basic and boring he really got in the nitty and gritty sometimes made it you know funny and other times made it really deeply unsettling and true and lovely. So, let's start with Pretty in Pink, released in 1986. (coughs) Excuse me. So, why did I choose Pretty in Pink? Hmm, because I fucking love it. (laughs) My favorite scene from Pretty in Pink is when Ducky is singing an Otis song. I'm pretty sure it's called tenderness, but at least that's the word that is repetitive and said a lot in that film. And he's lip-singing to Andy in the record store that she works at. He looks ridiculous, and it's so cringe. Like, if I really saw that in real life, I feel like I would be really weirded out and cringe. It's cringe worthy for sure. But there's something about that scene that stands out to me now and always has. It's funny. It's dramatic, but the song is perfect. Um, I guess if you were going to compare the song to Ducky's overall look and awkwardness and I guess nerdiness, it's not fitting at all but in some weird way it works for that scene. It's amazing. I specifically wanted to talk about Pretty in Pink because that's the scene that I really enjoy and that's the first thing I think about when I see Pretty in Pink is on. On, like television or s- somehow it comes up and I'm like oh my god Pretty in Pink and then I think about that scene it's never any other scene that I think about right away. Some things that I do want to talk about Pretty in Pink um, besides the fact that it was directed by Howard Deutsch I'm pretty sure that's how they say his last name if not I apologize uh, and it was written by John Hughes it's in the genre of comedy drama and romance. Some sort of interesting facts Or just interesting topics of gossip. I don't know if all these are facts, but it was stated in a lot of articles that I've read and linked here um, on my notes, so if anyone's interested in any of these articles I guess you can like uh, contact me and I can give you some of these links because I'm not sure if all of them are true. Um, Some of the articles did have interviews one-on-one with these actual actors who were on set with a lot of these films. Other times it was just stated in the article but who's to say that it's true I mean if we're going back to Hollywood and filmmaking he said she said who knows but it was said that John and Howard did not get the ending that they wanted with Pretty in Pink and so if you haven't seen Pretty in Pink I guess I'll give you like a little bit of a take on it but I don't really want to do a summary I just really want to do a commentary assuming that you've already seen these films or that maybe this will push you to watch this film in some way. So Pretty in Pink is a story about a young girl who deals with not having her mother in her life and she's in high school and it's just her and her father and while dealing with the loss of her mother, She's also trying to, I guess in some ways, raise her own father. I'm not not trying to be rude, but there's a lot of scenes in the film where she's telling her dad to go work for a job and like making breakfast for him and sort of, you know, motivating him, but giving him the push that you would kind of see in a different role. Like usually it's the parent who's pushing the child, but Andy's actually the one who is pushing her dad to, you know, get out there, you know? Get out of the house, try something new, this is for the best sort of thing. And Andy is played by Molly Ringwald and if I do refer to her um, throughout this recording as Molly instead of the character, I'll be sure to make sure that I'm saying what movie it is, but it's just natural for me to say Molly because Molly's in so many John Hughes films. He was considered I guess quote-unquote her muse and his muse and she was in quite a bit of 80s movies, like, if you think of 80s movies, do you think of the Rat Pack, or the Brat Pack, sorry, and you're gonna think of, what, Molly Ringwald, so, yeah, I'm probably gonna start referring to her as Molly, because it's just easier to look that way, and I'll just title back to what I'm speaking about, and again, I'm speaking about Pretty in Pink, so, yeah, she's raising her father, pretty much, (laughs) and she has this very mature, hardworking, adult-like mentality, where she's working at the record store, she designs her own clothes, which in some ways is because she doesn't have a lot of money, she's from a lower income home, and so, she, you know, you gotta get creative when you don't got a lot of money, but also, I'm sure it's like more of a, another side of her, where she's just a creative person, and that's sort of her thing, and it does seem like in the film that she enjoys doing that, so she makes a lot of her clothes. And the social class aspect is really the heart of the film in that throughout the film, uh, her best friend Ducky is like in love with her. Uh, they've known each other for a long time. It's kind of obvious that he likes her, um, but Andy isn't into him like that. And she starts to fall for this guy named Blaine who's a rich kid. And you see the contrast between their social class really Um, building this tension in their relationship as they're also trying to get to know each other as people but of course that never works out and obviously it's not going to work out in a film where you have to create intense and interesting uh, plot and so one of Blaine's friends also liked Andy for whatever reason and I'm saying for whatever reason because it's not really explained if he liked Andy just because he's Pretty much quote-unquote a fuck boy and he just wanted to date whoever's there and he's really pretty uh, she's Molly obviously I'm not trying to discredit that um, it's just that we're just kind of shown that he hits on her and she doesn't want anything to do with him and he's bothered by it. and then when he sees Blaine who she actually has attention to he's bothered by that so I don't know if he like genuinely liked her and then she blew him off which she has any- every right to um, and he was a little butthurt by it and couldn't get over it, which that is pretty much what it is, or if he, like, really doesn't like more that Blaine asked her out, and she got it, like, she gave him a yes, and so that's really what bothers him, and that weird power struggle he has with not getting what he wants, because he obviously gets what he wants a lot in life, so that's annoying, <laughs> Blaine's friend, whose name I can't even remember, um, is clearly the villain in the story, and personally, he annoys me, and that's what he's supposed to do, so I guess he's doing it well. And so, yeah, so the is really just about Andy calling for Blaine, and then the struggles of their friends not liking the other person, so Duffy doesn't like Blaine, <laughs> like, at all. He even says in the film, and I quote, Blaine... His name is Blaine? That's a major appliance, not a name. It's something like that, he says, which is actually really funny. Um, Wow, I can't believe I remember that. So yeah, Blaine, and then Andy's, uh, for the most part, Andy's friends like her uh, choice in Blaine, right? But Ducky doesn't, but obviously Ducky doesn't because Ducky likes Andy and Andy doesn't like Ducky. And that way, at least they are friends. So, that's the plot of Pretty in Pink for the most part. And by the end, cycling back to the interesting part and the reason why I wanted to make a commentary specifically on Pretty in Pink is that John and Howard didn't get the ending that they wanted. So they supposedly showed Pretty in Pink to audiences and they didn't like it because they felt like originally when they they did the film ducky and andy were supposed to end up together which i kind of like that ending but i also feel like it's not believable i think it would be more believable for andy to end up without ducky than with either of the guys like just end up deciding that she doesn't want to be with either of them um so the fact that they were even considering putting her with Ducky. I was like, oh yeah, cool. That's cool. I could, I could have done that. That would have been awesome. I actually really like Ducky as a character. Um, yeah, so that didn't happen because audiences, they obviously did like a pre-screening with a test audience and they said that they didn't want her to end up with Ducky. They wanted her to end up with Blaine. So when they actually released the film, they instead ended it with Andy ending up with Blaine and yeah that's what happened for the ending of pretty in pink but john hughes and howard didn't really want that ending they just kind of had to make it work for studio purposes and because the original um the test audience didn't like it with ducky and andy so yeah that was a bummer for them and kind of a bummer to me too hearing that because i don't really know why they would have Okay, I guess I do know why. I, I feel like because Ducky wasn't the stereotypical guy in the end, um, the pretty boy with the money blah blah blah, but then I also feel like that's such a shallow take because they were really close and by the end Blaine had done something really messed up and hadn't defended her in the way that she would have needed and pretty much blew her off for prom, um, or the dance. I don't remember if it was the prom specifically, And Ducky showed up and Ducky was there for her. So, again, I could totally see it going either way. And I kind of understand why it was with Blaine. But that ending's boring. And, like, I don't personally have anything against Blaine's character or the actor who played Blaine. I just don't find Blaine very interesting. Andy's very interesting, but I don't think Blaine's really interesting at all. And, yeah, again, my favorite scene was the... (laughs) The scene with Ducky singing to the Otis song, you guys should check that out. That's literally one of my favorite scenes and in fact probably the best scene. I can't think of any other scenes in that film that really stand out to me besides that. Even the ending doesn't stand out that much, but it was said that Molly was sick at the end of filming, or maybe not the end specifically, but that she was sick at the time that they filmed that and so it was kind of dark they made it dark at the end and i think they were in the parking lot and i believe that they did like a weird kissing scene it's been a little while since i've seen the film but i've seen them so many times i figured i could go on a whim after doing some research and talk about these things so yeah there's a lot of weird things with the ending that happened so if they seem weird, that's probably why So now I'm going to speak about Sixteen Candles, <clears throat> which is released in 1984. Again, we have Molly Ringwald, but this time around we also have Anthony Michael Hall. The reason why I'm speaking about both of them in general is because their ages are going to come up in my commentary. And I have other reasons why I'm going to speak about their ages. But again, John had a sort of theme where he would bring certain people in his films and he would like genuinely write around knowing that they were going to be in these roles and that happened for Molly and Anthony specifically so I think it's just something that should be mentioned. Most people already know this but for those who are just listening to this and considering watching these movies or haven't seen them but maybe will watch after this, that's something that you should know that a lot of these roles with Molly and Anthony were written specifically for them by John Hughes and they were very young when they started doing these films with John Hughes. They were actually teenagers so that's really interesting and doesn't happen often from what I've seen in the past and even now so that could be another reason why the films feel so real and so uh how do you explain it? Relatable because it's real like they're teenagers playing teenagers that's how it should be I think personally this was this film was directed by John Hughes and written by John Hughes in the genre of comedy and romance 16 Candles is actually my least favorite film I'm gonna talk about today uh this was one of those films that I did like a lot when I was younger but as time went on I've slowly started to not like this film as much I'm not really into comedy for me. Comedy is a huge hit and miss, and I think that a lot of people don't do it well. I don't think that's the case for John specifically, but I don't know. I think it's a me thing where, for one, some things in comedy that come up are problematic for me, and for two, I just, I'm not someone who really likes comedy it's a hit or miss in general, but for me, it's really just like a, it's either gonna work or it's not, and I'm not gonna force it. So, 16 Candles. My biggest problem with this film is that the character Long Duck Dong, the foreign exchange student that is in the film is literally just there for comedic relief, and the comedic relief seems to be solely stemmed off of his culture, race, and otherwise ethnicity, and I don't really like that they didn't give him any complexity, didn't really give us a story. I feel like that was a great moment for them to really add in cultural references that had substance that maybe would educate the audience without being a full-on monologue or full of exposition, and I feel like instead John decided to use him as comic relief and... It didn't blow over well with me. It makes me uncomfortable that they sort of joke about his name. You know, the, n- the name thing with Pretty in Pink is sort of funny with Blaine and he sort of, it's more harmful than that or otherwise playful because Ducky's really just jealous and we understand that he's jealous. He's gonna say whatever, whether he means it or not. But with the exchange student, Long Duck Dong, it's just it doesn't sit well with me at all i don't think it should sit well with anyone else either i don't really i feel like in the 80s this worked because people didn't care about being sensitive toward other cultures and stuff like that and just because we care more about it now doesn't make it, it okay that it was okay then it was never okay people just let it slide and that's how i see it um, no one can convince me, otherwise I really just don't like that aspect. I feel like if they were going to make the point to have an exchange student, which is really cool in in the film, and they were going to introduce that, they should have done more with that and not just made him funny, and whether funny was John's thing, they didn't have to make it a joke about his heritage and his culture. I don't like it. So that's that's a big thing in the film that I just can't get over and don't like. Another thing that I don't like about the film is that besides Molly and Anthony, the whole cast is literally like 20 something year olds and up, it's fine if you're on set and you know, there are age ranges that's gonna happen, but when you have age range differences and you plan to make two of those characters be love interest and there's literally a major age gap I feel like that's a problem for so many reasons like why are you gonna have a freaking 15 16 year old girl be the love interest to a 26 year old boy like for the guy that plays jake Ryan was well into his 20s i'm pretty sure when i was doing the research i don't know the exact number but he was not a teenager and molly definitely was so i just feel like that's weird i understand your acting but i don't think that's okay and Granted, John Hughes was known to be very protective of his actors, and he genuinely cared about them, and there were a lot of things that if something came up, John would fix that, and he would own up to things, and be like, well, yeah, maybe that's not the best approach, you know, his actors felt very comfortable telling him certain things, and they would fix it, right, they'd get it fixed, but I feel like this is something that happens um, with films and television now. First of all, why do you have a 20 something year old playing a high school student? Let's stop doing that, it's annoying. And for me personally, it kind of shows, not just in the fact that they don't look like teenagers, but like it doesn't seem like relatable at all, or organic, I don't like that. And I also don't like that behind the scenes. You have one teenager who's playing a teenager as they should be and they're doing really well. And then you have a 20 something year old Playing their love interest. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. So that's something else I don't like about Sixteen Candles at all. Uh, I have another issue. I'm trying not to just bash this film totally so I'm giving you the things I absolutely did not like. And then I'm giving you the things that were good. Another <laughs> comment that I have to make is there's a whole scene where Jake lets Anthony's character drive home his ex girlfriend who is completely wasted. I don't know why they thought that was okay. If anything, Jake should have been the one to take her home whether he was upset with her or not I feel like that was super irresponsible and while they're teenagers quote unquote in this film I don't like that he was like yeah I'll just let this random guy and granted they have like this whole discussion where he's like I'm doing this but like don't disappoint me blah 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 and lets him use like his really expensive ass car to take her home but I still don't know why he would do that It's that's stupid like she doesn't know him why would you do that So that was weird. That's all I'm gonna say. That's all I'm gonna say in terms of the negatives of this film because I don't want to totally drag it, but for the most part, Sixteen Candles is a film that I am not a fan of anymore for all these reasons I've listed. It's very hard for me to enjoy it because of that. The aspects that I do really like or the pros in this film Molly's character is amazing, feels very much like a teenage girl growing up in a really busy family, real family aspects, and going to a everyday school, high school, the same everyday high school issues, <laughs> the interactions between her and Anthony Michael Hall are really good although sometimes he says stuff that's way inappropriate and it's like dude calm down okay that could be I guess you could argue that that's kind of realistic guys can be really disgusting but it doesn't make it okay right I don't care what age you are uh but other than that there were moments that they they had great chemistry on on camera and the whole idea that her whole family forgets about her birthday is sort of sad and hilarious at the same time but again they were planning for a wedding with her older sister so it's this sense that a lot is going on and then they forget and then (laughs) later they remember and she's upset about it and has like her whole (laughs) her whole thought of what it's going to be like to be 16 like I'm going to be like older and this is the big one six and yeah and then her whole family forgets and she doesn't get a, a new car in the driveway you know her whole dreams are shattered she just goes to school boo so that's really cute and then for the interaction between her and her younger siblings on set great her little brother is so 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 good so good I don't know the kid's name he did a great job though so I'm going to end this first part uh, with 16 Candles, and then I will continue on with the second part about The Breakfast Club, Some Kind of Wonderful, if I didn't mention that before, I'm gonna talk about that as well, and Dirty Dancing. And these are all like my favorite, you guys, my favorite 80s movies. I will be giving pros and cons to these, of course, but it is what it is. And then I will go on from there. So I'll leave you with that. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Old Soul Podcast. My name is Bree. That's spelled B-R-E-I. Thank you so much. This is part two to the bittersweet taste for 80s movies. I'm going to continue on with the films Some Kind of Wonderful, The Breakfast Club, and Dirty Dancing. Some Kind of Wonderful was released in 1987. The director was Howard Deutsch and the writer was John Hughes. Again, I apologize if I'm saying these names wrong. I did look them up and I did listen to them so hopefully these are correct. The genre was drama and romance. (laughs) So from the research that I did, Some Kind of Wonderful was sort of labeled as the <laughs> next version of Pretty in Pink, or otherwise very similar to John Hughes's Pretty in Pink, which Howard also, I believe, directed, yes, Howard directed Pretty in Pink, and John wrote on Pretty in Pink, and then we have some kind of wonderful, which was very similar to Pretty in Pink, that they both directed and write, writ were writers for, In terms of screenplay, um, other films John also like just wrote in full but other times it was just screenplay. So how do I explain why I was close to Pretty in Pink? So from what I saw in my research, Pretty in Pink had the three main characters which were Andy, Blaine, and Ducky. And then in Some Kinda Wonderful it was Amanda, Jeff, and Watts and watts is like the quirky tomboy who has a crush on jeff who's sort of the one that everyone has eyes for but he only has eyes for one other person in the same way that andy only had eyes for blaine but ducky had eyes for her and blaine had eyes for her as well and so that's jeff and then we have amanda who's like the pretty popular girl in the same way that blaine was like the popular handsome rich guy amanda also has more money than them so there's this added element of the social class difference, and specifically I think middle class or lower middle class for Jeff. There's a whole thing between him and his father in college and how he blows his money on buying uh, this gift for Amanda and sort of the contrast in that, and they're from different sides of the train tracks I guess that's what people would associate it with or that's the context they would give and in that way it's also very similar to Pretty in Pink so it has sort of the same bones of the film that Pretty in Pink had and the roles are reversed in that Jeff was a man instead of Andy who was a woman and then they just switched it up and had two girls versus two boys and the characters I think we're similar but I do find that Amanda's character had a- uh, they all had depth. They weren't just one-dimensional and in Pretty in Pink I didn't really find them one-dimensional in terms of Andy and Ducky. I found Andy and Ducky to be really interesting but I found that Blaine was kind of boring but I liked all the characters in Some Kind of Wonderful which is why I think I like Some Kind of Wonderful more than Sixteen Candles in Pretty in Pink. I had stated in the the first part that these three films I'm talking about right now for this part were more my favorite ones than the other ones, and that was through time, of course. When I was younger, I liked all of them equally. Now it's changed as an older woman, and how I understand that now. I find Watts to be very, very cool. I love her short haircut, uh, the tomboy-esque feel for the 80s. How she was very much just being herself and playing the drums and reveling in who she was and also dealing with her sort of internal battle that she liked Jeff and Jeff is also her best friend again comparison to Pretty in Pink that was the same sort of struggle with Ducky and Andy and then we have Jeff who actually I will say that Jeff isn't as interesting as Andy's character in Pretty in Pink Jeff is just pining over Amanda and he I feel like he sees her more as a trophy than he sees her as someone that he like could really see a future with I do think that after they meet it becomes a little more complex than that and that they build a friendship but Amanda sort of guides him into him realizing like You don't really like me, dude. Like you I think you know that. But he still respects her. I but I do feel like through some of the film he more is just like chasing this idea of who she is versus who she really is. And I do like Amanda. She is pretty and rich and all those things, which we've seen a million times before and we'll probably see in so many other films. But she really seems to stand up for herself she really seems to know what she wants and she goes for it and it's not just that privilege of being pretty and you know why and having money it's more like she sees herself in a certain way and she knows how people see her but she also wants people to understand that it's not always what it seems and granted I, I do think you have to be in a certain certain privilege to still say that even when you're rich and pretty that you know it isn't always what it seems and granted maybe it isn't but there's a privilege in being rich and pretty and still being able to talk about how that isn't always great but she does explain like I'm more than just this and she stands up for herself there's like a whole scene where I think she slaps some someone in a party who's like being rude to her or her friends sorry that's a little blank in my mind I can't really remember exactly what they're arguing about but they definitely give her a strong presence that's not one-dimensional and I really appreciate that I also like that even though there's a little bit of tension between her and Watts that they don't make it this thing where it's like we're fighting over a boy it's more like okay I don't really like her because I'm assuming she's this way but I'm also not going to be a bitch because She's not really the issue here. It's just that I like Jeff and he likes me or he doesn't like me, whatever. In the end, I do think that there's a lot of growth in these two, um, I'm assuming, yeah, female identifying characters with Watts and Amanda. Although Watts does have a very um, tomboy esque feel that they put on her, and for the 80s, it makes sense. I don't think they were going to dig deeper into Watts, the same way that they didn't dig into Ducky. It was stated in some uh, of my research that a lot of people were just saying, oh, well, Ducky seemed like he was gay, and everyone was thinking it. And it's like, yeah, maybe he was, but I didn't really, I wouldn't have been bothered if he was. And even if he was, why would that be an issue? Like, Ducky was just interesting and all. And he genuinely seemed to care about Andy in some way, regardless. And if that was him figuring out his sexuality from there, then cool, that would have been something to really dig deep into instead of just typecasting and assuming. And, you know, if you have that and you can put that in a film and really branch on that for people who really go through those issues, And things that are really happening, especially at these young ages where you're just really figuring out who you are and your sexuality, that would have been really great to expand upon for young audiences in the 80s and so forth, you know? Um, Yeah, so that's something I wish they would have (laughs) extended on. It's believable that Watts likes Jeff. I just feel like, you know, quote unquote, this tomboy-esque thing that was like a thing in the 80s. I don't really hear a lot of people say things like tomboy nowadays. We're just, we've kind of outgrown that. But either way, that aside, I'm only bringing it up because it was brought up in the research and people had stated that. And I just think that they could have expanded on those characters in that way without being exploitive with them, you know. Uh, Some kind of wonderful is, I think, better than Freddie and Pink, which I don't know that everyone would agree I don't think it had as much success as Pretty in Pink, at least not right away, but it got the ending that Pretty in Pink didn't get, so this is something I wanted to comment on. Again, all this is mostly commentary. I'm giving backstory or summary synopsis because I'm a, I assume that you have seen these films already or uh, that you will go see these films because of my commentary, and I don't want to give away too many things, but I mean, <laughs> I'm doing a uh, pretty thorough commentary so if i do give any spoilers then i apologize but you know it is what it is i'm going to talk about these films if you haven't seen them i'm hoping this will convince you to see them obviously you're gonna see more details but i do have to give you context to sort of break down where my ideas came from but i'm not going to get too deep unless i am and then i don't i'm not really noticing that but john and howard got the ending that they didn't get in Pretty in Pink so as I had mentioned in part one Andy and Ducky didn't end up together but in some kind of wonderful Watts and Jeff do end up together who are essentially the new Andy and the new uh, Ducky instead of the whole pretty girl pretty boy or pretty boy pretty girl end up together and it's realistic and it's beautiful and it's believable and it was the ending that they wanted and I really enjoyed that ending way more than the Pretty and Pink ending. Mm, people might not agree with that but that's how I felt about it. I would say that Some Kind of Wonderful I didn't watch until I was probably what 18? 18 years old? But the other films I saw well in like 15. 15 years old and the, the other two films I'm gonna discuss I, I also saw at 15 maybe too soon. I don't think so, but maybe to some people that was too young, whatever. Uh, Some Kind of Wonderful is the one that I saw later, which also leads me to believe that it wasn't as popular as the other ones, at least not right away. Um, And I do believe that when I was doing my research that they actually stated that it didn't hit a lot of success right away, but that it, you know, grew. I think it's a great film. I really enjoy it more than Pretty in Pink and Sixteen Candles. I don't know if that's just my personal, you know, feelings toward it. Obviously, it's my bias, but I just mean maybe all things together, you know, they really fleshed through the characters. I really liked all the leads. They got the ending that Pretty and Pink didn't get. Maybe all those are variables that make me like it a lot more. Because I can't really pinpoint as to why I like this film so much more. I just do... It's just sort of an effortless like, and I really enjoy <laughs> watching this film altogether. a very, very good film, okay, so I'm going to talk about the Breakfast Club now, which was released in nineteen eighty five and again, I'm not going in any specific order. I'm just talking about them as I've noted them on my screen, so if the dates... Are ones before the other or ones after this or whatever, it's fine. I'm just telling you the dates because I think it's important to sort of understand when these dropped. So like 16 Candles was a little earlier and The Breakfast Club was right after that and then you had Pretty in Pink which was the 1987 so that means Some Kind of Wonderful would have came out after all of those films that I just listed. And I mean that might give you some context as to knowing this was like later 80s versus early 80s and maybe the people who were living in the 80s and teenagers around the time that these were being released feel like that might have affected the audiences or how people felt about the films or the context of what was going on in the films and how they were interpreted. I'm not sure. I wouldn't know. I was born in 97, 1997 so I have no idea but you know just giving that for some facts. Okay The Breakfast Club was directed by John Hughes, written by John Hughes, it's in the genre of comedy and drama. The Breakfast Club was one of my favorite films and still is one of my favorite films of all time, period. It is a classic, almost everyone knows about The Breakfast Club. If you don't, it's probably because you're pretty young and maybe your parents never told you about it, but I- most people know what The Breakfast Club is. Um, it had an amazing cast. Obviously John Hughes was amazing. He did a lot of work in this film just on his own. Howard, I don't know if Howard wasn't involved at all, but um, he wasn't directing it alongside John. John was doing a lot of the, the work overall. Um, they did this in the Midwest, Illinois specifically, which John had a history of doing a lot of his films in Illinois, I guess I'm pretty sure that's where he was raised and so he had a lot of context with that, however Some Kind of Wonderful was believed to be set in locations in California so that doesn't really fall in line with any of that but most- I think it's good to give context that a lot of these films were filmed in the midwest so yay midwest (laughs) um yeah Breakfast Club does this sort of spin we have the tropes and the stereotypes of course with like the basket case, the criminal, the nerd, the princess, and the athlete and putting them all in one very tight space and also throwing in the tension that they don't know each other and any other given time they would never be in the same room together. Obviously they come from very different backgrounds and they're not in any way connected in their school lives, so them being in detention is the only reason why they would be together, and then on top of that, they're by themselves, and they are, besides their, I believe it was the principal, yeah, the principal who's like, watching over them, he comes in and out, and like listens to make sure they're not doing anything that's gonna cause a ruckus, as he would say. But yeah, so that alone really creates a lot of the intrigue in this film for me, that they're just in these really specific spaces and John does a really good job of having a nice easy flow and pace sometimes there's a lot going on and sometimes there's not really a lot going on there's literally scenes where there's just music and they're just sitting there bored out of their minds there's another scene where they're running in the hallway so they're not going to get caught and get in trouble And it's very fun and exciting and there's a whole dance break which doesn't seem very fitting but it fits pretty well especially with 80s and the song choices used in the soundtrack. I actually have a whole record that's just the soundtrack of The the Breakfast Club it's really good you should do you should totally listen to it I don't know during your free time (laughs) and then um, of course the detention scene where they're in this library at these you know, basic high school tables and they're all just sitting there facing forward, looking at the clock here and there. Um, But what makes it interesting is that they kind of grow on each other um, as the film moves on and they're forced to sort of self-evaluate why they're in detention, what the hell they want um, out of life, why they're so upset with the things that are going on in their life and they openly talk about that with each other, which which is really interesting because um, it's noted that a lot of the dialogue wasn't even like scripted scripted like of course it was scripted, but they did a lot of improv, I guess you could say where you really just kind of go on a whim and people are watching or otherwise the camera's on and you're just saying whatever. And you're just feeding off of each other's energy so a lot of that was going on which means the actors had a lot of choices and a lot of freedom on set which obviously paid off they did a really good job and all their characters are fleshed out even though they start with the very surface level basic stereotypes that's really broken down by the end of the film where they're all sitting down in a circle and the camera's sort of going around and they're telling their they're actually really sad stories about their real lives and that scene always gets me you know when you grow up your heart dies who cares I care you know that is the line that I love from that film along with many others but that's my favorite I do like um (laughs) the letter I think Brian yeah the letter that's written you know sincerely Yours, The Breakfast Club, which The Breakfast Club is a great name for this film. However, it wasn't always going to be called The Breakfast Club. I can't even remember what the other name was, but it was bad. (laughs) The Breakfast Club is really good. Uh, And the name is really good, (laughs) the title. So the letter stands out um, that's sort of read as a voiceover. In the end, they were supposed to write like these letters during detention. And of course, none of them do except Brian. And yeah, I really really enjoyed this film and of course I'm going to talk about things that I didn't like in the film I now as a 22 year old woman I don't like the situations that Claire's character and Bender um, were in that were very 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 Based in sexual harassment, there's a whole scene where Bender literally is like hiding from one of the teachers, and he goes under the table, and Claire's wearing a skirt, and he like looks up and he sees her underwear, and he like messes with her like, um, her private areas or her leg or messes with her skirt. Either way, whatever he's doing, it's assault. (laughs) Like I don't like that at all. I'm not gonna sugarcoat that. I'm not going to say, well, this, well, that, no. I feel like that was uncalled for. I don't think that needed to be in the film. I don't know why that would be seen as funny. And Molly Ringwald has actually written about how this is something that she does not like at all about the film, while she still really likes the film. And, you know, she was, she worked with John with a lot of stuff, but this is one of the things that she does not like think she has children of her own now and you know explaining that to them is probably very difficult and um, yeah there's like a whole thing so if you guys want to look that up you might want to see her opinion on that but I totally agree I thought that that scene was disturbing and I don't like that I actually watched that as a kid and maybe didn't see how that was a huge issue and obviously do you see how that is an issue now but that's something that could be totally taken out and I wouldn't even blink an eye yeah it doesn't need to be there it's bad period Another thing that I really hate, um, which, you know, being a young black girl in America, you don't see a lot of representation unless you're really looking for it. There's no characters of color. There's no black or brown people. There's nothing. There's nothing. It's super super white okay there's where are the black kids where are the latin latinx kids where are the chinese kids the japanese kids where are the biracial kids where where are they where's the where's the color where's the color i don't know i don't know where it is i'm sure it's in that school i'm sure it's in that school in their everyday lives so i feel like it should be on screen I don't know why that wasn't a thing and I feel like it should be on screen and not used as a handicap for comic relief okay like that was done in 16 Candles I'd appreciate if it wasn't done like that in The Breakfast Club if that had happened and they had a character that had some color granted the characters in the cast were amazing and I really like them despite obviously things I've already brought up but uh yeah that's disheartening even now I think about how much more I probably would enjoy The Breakfast Club if I could identify with one of those characters. And of course you can always identify with characters whether you look like them, but it definitely would have been nice at 15 to watch The Breakfast Club and be like, wow, she has like 4C hair and she has a nose like me and, you know. And sadly, like so many other films, I don't get the luxury of seeing that on screen and it just is what it is, right? We could talk about it for days at the end of the day. I can't control that. It's already been released, whatever, right? It's annoying we're moving on um another thing that's sort of annoying but it doesn't necessarily bother me as much as the other two things is that um Ally Sheedy's character in the end where they sort of take off her eye makeup and put on like these virginal white like pretty girl next door clothing and like give her this weird moment <laughs> with the athlete I'm just kind of like eh. I get why they did it and it's like, dramatic or whatever, but I don't think they needed to do it and I also didn't find it very believable because I felt like it was a little rushed. I don't think that needed to happen and I liked who she was in general, I don't think all that extra stuff was needed, like, at all, so I don't really know why that was there. But overall, really like this movie, actually I really love this movie. I hope I can say that a few years from now, maybe I won't like it, you never know. But I do really appreciate this movie. It really solidified my love for coming-of-age films, teenage films. It really made me look up to John Hughes in general. Um, I think we're always trying to improve, we're always trying to um, make work that's good and does something and means something and I think John Hughes did so well with this film. He, his heart is in this film and you, you can't deny that and it's so enjoyable. Really love The Breakfast Club. So I only have a few more minutes so I'm gonna try to wrap this up with dirty dancing um, without cutting out anything. So Dirty Dancing was released in 1987. The director was Emile Ardolino. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong. The writer was Eleanor Bergstein or Bergstein. And the genre was drama and romance. Who has not seen Dirty Dancing? I want to (laughs) know. And if you haven't, you need to go watch it Now it's so good so the sets are amazing the casting the musical choices the choreography everything about this my favorite scenes are everyone's favorite scenes the lift at the end the nobody puts baby in a corner even though a lot of people specifically Patrick had stated how that's a really cringy line he didn't even know how like he should deliver it honey bring me the cringe that line is amazing loved it the scene where they're on the floor lip-singing to each other, which I think was actually improv and they just kept it on um, the film. It was really good. It was so good, okay. Um, they shot this in the fall, so they had to like spray paint a lot of the leaves and it was really cold when they were doing like the practice lifts in the water, so that's just some behind the scenes things that I found with research. Patrick Swayze and Jennifer's chemistry was amazing. I don't know if they really got along off set. I don't know that they didn't, but I think that they had a little bit of conflict that they later resolved when they did films um together, which the next film they did together was Red Dawn. So anything that had been left or lingering, they fixed later. You know, they were both incredible in this film, by the way. What I really like about this film is that no matter how many times I watch it, I love it. (laughs) I find very few things wrong with it. In fact, I think that it's very progressive for its time. The dancing might be seen as too sexual, especially in the 80s, but I love everything about it. And the music is incredible. The contrast, like this, this, I wouldn't call... Johnny's character or otherwise Patrick's character a struggling like dancer but you know he had to have his gigs to make his money and then baby she's coming of age you know she's from this very proper family her dad's a doctor and she likes the bad boy who's actually not really a bad boy he's like a good guy <laughs> he just I guess appears to be a bad boy I, I didn't really get the vibe that he was a bad person he was just a guy with maybe a chip on his shoulder who hadn't had everything given to him so he was a little rough around the edges like anybody else But yeah it's so good. Um, The talk of the abortion in the film I really think was good because it brought up an issue that actually has happened for years and will continue to happen and the issue of like women I am pro-choice by the way like I think women should be allowed to do whatever the fuck they want to do with their bodies and if that's getting an abortion they should be allowed to do that it's their bodies. And in this film, sadly, it's shown in a very negative way and that she goes and gets it done unprofessionally and she's left sick. But she does live and, you know, in a way it's negative because it's seen in a darker light and I think in a way it could scare young women. But I do think it's something that's good because it's making people discuss it and think about things like this and that it really happens it's not sugarcoating and then when you really think about it like the only reason why she did it in that way is because she couldn't really afford any other way which is why we need things like Planned Parenthood and things like that for young women to have access and if you don't believe in abortion okay that's for you but I believe in women being able to do whatever they want with their bodies pro-choice all the way. Let people do what they want with their bodies, especially women whose bodies have been policed for centuries. Okay, so if this isn't something that you agree with, then you should leave. You should exit. (laughs) But yeah, so I really think that that was really good to have in the film. Um, It had been discussed how maybe that would be seen as negative um, or not a good thing, but I think it's good that it's in the film and I just think that people just need to do a little more research on that and really break that down and I think it even stirring discussion is important but yeah who puts baby in a fucking corner no one no one does Jennifer Garner is amazing in this film you gotta love Patrick Spacey the soundtrack is incredible um I do still like some kind of wonderful a lot but Dirty Dancing is just that one film that gets you right like it's so good and you don't really need to say anything it speaks for itself right (laughs) It's timeless in the same way that The Breakfast Club is, right? But in a totally different way. Emil literally, when they say you left your heart on that fucking stage, he left his heart on that film. I love it so much. How many people can say that they don't like Dirty Dancing? I don't know. I don't know why you wouldn't like it. You're out of your mind if you don't like it. <laughs> Alright, so that's the end of my part two commentary on my bittersweet taste for 80s movies. I hope you enjoyed. I hope the audio and the background noise wasn't too irritating. You know, I'm just starting out, really trying to break down my ideas and figure out how best to go about this. But I hope ultimately I brought up some commentary that you enjoyed you agreed with or maybe didn't agree with but ultimately you enjoyed your time and listening to it and I also hope that you found your own ideas in these films and maybe thought about things you didn't think about before and I really 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 want you to go and watch these films if you haven't watched these films and you know make your own assessments about what you think especially if you're not from that generation and again these films were some kind of wonderful pretty in pink 16 candles and what, the breakfast club, and dirty dancing. Thank you. I'll leave you with that.